This podcast is brought to you by SIDGRAPH Asia 2014, running from the 3rd of December to December 6th this year in Shenzhen in China. FX Guide is proud to be associated with SIDGRAPH Asia and is the official podcast of the show. Netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles and Sydney, you're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX Podcast. The FX Podcast is where we talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists doing cutting-edge work. We dig deep into the technical side, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to the hardworking people creating amazing work. Be sure to check out all of our other podcasts at fxguide.com slash podcasts. Today, our guest on the FX Podcast is Wes Ball, who is the director of the feature film The Maze Runner. You know, in these podcast intros, I often talk about our sister site, FXPHD, and some of you may recall Wes's name as he worked with us as a professor at FXPHD a few years back. I really think it speaks volumes about how passionate people do so well when we have people like Wes Ball and Gareth Edwards that have shared their talents with people on our FXPHD site, um, shared their their hard-earned knowledge with us um, as professors and, uh, you know, have continued to follow that passion and have gone on to direct major feature films like The Maze Runner and Godzilla, a couple of professors that have done really well for themselves here. So I think this is a very unique discussion, chance to listen to a director who's one of us, um, give you kind of an inside look in the process. So without much uh, intro here, let's just jump right in as Mike Seymour speaks with Wes Ball about the film The Maze Runner. So how did you uh, first get involved with uh, the uh, the project? Yeah, so basically, um, I, uh, I, I I made this little short called Ruin. Made a little like, kind of stereoscopic short, you know, with out of my little company, Oddball Animation at the time. And um, I put it out online. It kind of attracted a lot of attention. And uh, that kind of wound me up, you know, uh, that, that got me into Fox, basically. And then we started talking about that project and the larger kind of aspirations I have for this giant epic saga thing. And, uh, and it was during that project that they, uh, they, they kind of, well, in discussions for that project, they pulled me aside and gave me this book, Major Runner, which, which they were trying to make for a while. And then they asked me what, what I would do with this thing. And so, um, and it, it was, I can probably give you this artwork too. I, um, I went home and probably right after I read the book, this one image popped into my head and it was a, a really kind of iconic image for me that I used my ruin assets for, you know, the overgrown concrete look. Yep. Um, I just kind of brought that stuff in, you know, put it, brought it into Moto actually and started, uh, and making a little, little, basically a little piece of concept art. And that was for me, my way of kind of unlocking a kind of a tone and a look and a kind of vibe for the movie. Um, and so I, I kind of came in and pitched the studio, my take on what I would do with the movie, including some of this artwork that I had made and, uh, and pretty much got the job, you know, right there. And so I went home just like, you know, totally like, you know, oh my God, I think I might just, I might just, this might be my shot. This might be my chance. And, uh, and what was funny the next day, they called me and said, yeah, we do want you to do this movie, but we're going to, we're going to hold off on any kind of negotiations for a moment here because tomorrow we have you on the books to come in to finally pitch Ruin. And so that basically that Wednesday, I went in that morning, pitched Ruin and we sold that thing in the room with me and my buddy TS, the, the writer. And, uh, and so by the end of that day, Wednesday, I had two movies of Fox. There's Maze Runner and then and, and Ruin. So it was like, you know, like I was saying before, it's like it's it's an absolutely like, you know, once in a lifetime, you know, once in a million chance that I got just got 
super lucky with, you know? So where's Ruin at now? Yeah, so Ruin, basically, we uh, we were on our third draft before the studio kind of, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say twisted my arm, but, you know, got me in to, to do the sequel to uh, to the Maze Runner. Um, so it's still in very much active development, and hopefully be the next one that I do. Because it's a, uh, it's a one that's truly near and dear to my heart. It's a, uh, it's, it could be something really special. Um, so yeah, me and me and Tom Scott Nolan, the the my writer uh, from France. Uh, sorry, my my friend who's a screenwriter. Uh, we went to school together a long time. We had a long relationship together. Um, he's he's writing that. But he's also writing the sequel. So basically, the the, the other executives are there. His name's Steve Aswell, really awesome guy. Um, he, uh, he's patiently waiting for us to finish the Scorch Trials here so that we can get started on Ruin, basically, and, and, uh, hopefully get it out there. You know, it'll be, it'll be a fun one. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was your process. And <clears throat> you already said that you, you know, went to those assets to kind of get a, the tone, I think was the word you used for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I'm not talking necessarily specifically about this next, uh, sequel, but like when you've got some material like that and you have to now have the job of directing that. There's the visual component, yeah. but there's, you know, like uh, what character arcs are going to play. Like not every single word on every single page is going to make it into the film. There's got to be a screenplay, of course. But how do you kind of map out stuff uh, at this early stage? Do you like to put cards up on a board? Do you like to just draw diagrams to connect to the plots? I mean, how do you kind of visualize or or even do you visualize the story? Yeah, I mean, my, my whole process really is, is, is very much kind of a visual one. And you're right. I mean, this is my first time ever really adapting a book. And that was probably the biggest challenge aside from just kind of the budget and the kind of, you know, the, the scale of movie we're trying to achieve on, on the resources that we had. Um, the hardest thing was really trying to like, uh, you know, we're not a huge book series. We're not like as big as say a hundred games or something, but it's significant. It's several million copies of the book. So the, so the fans were really important to us and for, and to me too, um, because they were going to become our little army, you know? So, you know, trying to hold on to everything I could in the book and just stay true to what was in the book. But at the same time, like you said, you can't put everything in there. So, um, that was not an easy process. And for me, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of visual stuff. There's a lot of key visuals that I wanted to really see in the movie, you know? And so trying to figure out where does that fit in and, certain ideas that are, that are kind of suggested in the book that aren't really shown. I wanted to, you know, there's this particular kind of sequence called the maze rearrange where, you know, the people, the characters in the book talk about the maze changing every night kind of thing. Yep. And, uh, I knew I just I had, we had to see that, you know, we had to see that kind of process happen. So, you know, you kind of find these, these moments through the story and you kind of really just break down that, that kind of the main plot engine and, and just find, how you kind of stay true to that spirit and still hit, hit those kind of key little clothesline, clothespins, the kind of ideas of, of the, of the arcs of different characters and story and plot and all that crazy stuff. Cause this is a very actually complicated book to, to adapt. I mean, it's, it's very, uh, there's a lot of, you know, strange ideas in it and it's, it's a difficult one. But, uh, I think, I think, you know, I think ultimately the response from the fans has been really positive because, you know, we, we, we did stay so close to the book and, you know, and we'll, We'll see what happens in the next one. <laughs> but I mean, for the that, most part, I had this little... That, that's a really important point, though, isn't it? Because uh, certainly my daughter is a huge fan of the book and now a huge fan of the film. But you have to make a film that services both that one of my daughters, the one that read the book and loves it to death, but my other daughter yeah. who hadn't read the book, but just going to see the film, hoping that you know she's going to not have to know a lot of back stuff to make sense of it. And that honestly, that was, that was 
the, the crowd I was most worried about. I mean, it's very difficult, you know, to, um, because the thing I liked about the book so much actually was how it just, it just throws you into this world and you don't have any answers. You don't, you just, it's all questions, you know? And, and I remember talking with Brian Burke at one point about, you know, lost and like how, you know, the questions are always more interesting than the answers. You know what I mean? Um, mm. so we knew we had this kind of mystery engine that would keep us driving forward. And then it was just a matter of how we deal with the ending, which is very, very true to the book. And you know, we knew it was going to be a pretty ballsy kind of way to go. And hopefully in the, in the next people that stick with the movie, basically, um, they'll get a lot more answers and we can do a little bit more, um, on, on the sequel to kind of just continue that story and that arc and those mysteries and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, man. It was a really tricky one, but it was a, it was a fun one though, because like this, this story had so much great situational kind of drama. Um, I knew kind of, you know, visually it could have been, it could be like really, really cinematic and very experiential. You know what I mean? Um, mm. that was, that was really exciting to me just as on, on a filmmaker level to have those kind of opportunities to really push the tension and the mystery and the, and those kinds of things, you know? So now, that was a lot of fun. So this, well, I was, I was going to say about oh, how you kind of break things down. Like, yep. I usually don't use like, index cards or anything. What I did though in this time was I basically, I made a little spreadsheet actually, and I have this somewhere, but I, I divided the movie up into five minute chunks and I kind of listed almost bullet point style, um, what each kind of five minute chunk was about, you know, thematically, story wise, character wise, all that stuff. And then below that, I would just list these little uh, bullet points, usually about five little key words that kind of represented each little scene. So that what, what that kind of meant is that I, I could really, really map out in a pretty, you know, bird's eye view the kind of ups and downs and the flow and all that stuff of the story and the plot and the characters. And I could also look color tag sections that kind of showed me, okay, how much maze do I have in the movie? How much quid do I have in the movie? All that kind of stuff. It was a cool, I'm such a visual person. It was a, it was a neat kind of way for me to find a kind of, you know, the, the, the sort of building blocks to the movie, you know, you can see, you can see where things were, were, were slowing down or, or picking up, you know, I thought that was a really cool little discovery we made. So let me talk to you about the visuals now, because in the film, an incredibly significant point for me is that there's only one shot that I see the maze and it's a shot uh, near the end. So at some point you had to make yeah. that decision because you could just as easily have uh, written a shot that, you know, flew down on the maze, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. And so you, you're working that thing out. Is that just you? Do you sit down with the cinematographer to discuss those? Is that so important that it becomes a plot no, point? That, that was, yeah, that was me, man. I mean, I, for me, it starts with the opening. You know, the opening of that elevator where there's no credits. You know, this isn't a movie. You know, this is just you're an audience along with the ride on this, this one protagonist, Thomas, you know, and you're just seeing the world, experiencing the entire story through his point of view for the most part. And so I never wanted to break that idea of, of taking the audience away from that point of view. And so suddenly to go to this kind of God's eye point of view of, of seeing the maze from above, it would kill the mystery. It would kill what's around that corner and all that kind of, that feeling of sort of being trapped and lost and sort of unsure about what's, what's out there. You know what I mean? So that was very deliberate early, early on. And I remember, I remember telling the studio that, and, and I didn't get much pushback. In fact, for the most part, they were just incredibly supportive all the way through for what we were trying to do. But that was a very early decision, I think, which is why I, I changed that little end from the book where they actually get driven away in a car in the book. But I wanted a helicopter because I knew the audience still wanted to see that kind of, you know, bird's eye view thing. Um, yeah, so that was, that was important to me from the beginning. So when did you get with the cinematographer? Enrique, right? Is that right? Yeah, Enrique Chediak, he was awesome. <clears throat> when did you get with him, and what Let's was see. that discussion like in pre-production? 
Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, um, you know, I, I interviewed a lot of guys, you know, and, and he did this one, um, this one movie that kind of just grabbed me. It was this really small kind of foreign movie. I think it was called Basura. Um, and it was this little, it was this little gritty, you know, very naturalistic movie. And I was like, that's it. That's what you want to do. Cause like, that was my little concept art that I made originally. It was very gritty. And like, you know, I like the idea of seeing real sweat in these guys' faces. It wasn't going to be too, I kept, I kept saying, I don't want to do bubble gum. You know, I don't, I don't want to do something that's too teeny bopper or anything like that. I just wanted to make a cool movie with like great textures and, and very kind of naturalistic and kind of grounded for as far fetched as an idea of a giant maze is. I wanted everything else to be very kind of just real, including the emotions and performances and all that stuff. And so, when I met with Enrique, he immediately got that, and 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 I and I I really wanted that, you know, despite being a kind of a Hollywood movie, I wanted to do that kind of almost independent spirit thing, you know. Mm. I wanted to kind of have a, uh, you know, a, a kind of run and gun quality to it, you know, because I think those little imperfections and those 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 kind of choices, I don't know, it makes it it makes it less of a movie to me, and it makes it more of something I can kind of you know get swept up in because it feels so kind of raw, you know. Yep. So yeah, it was fun. It was just, we kind of just decided kind of working on that level. And it was, our challenge really was just, you know, we had 42 days to shoot the movie and it was like, how are we going to do this big movie basically on such a short time frame with like all the visual effects requirements and all the, because you know, like every, every section of the movie is, is basically a visual effects. You know, there, there's, there's, there is no glade with giant walls. There is no maze. There's, there's none of that stuff. So it was, it was interesting. There's a lot of kind of A and B camera type work and, um, and, and, and very, very strict constraints we had to work within. Like, you know, you have this many shots that you can use. And it was, it was interesting having those parameters kind of, you know, created some creative sort of, um, you know, inspiration, but sometimes it definitely hurt us, you know, kind of buckled us sometimes, but, um, but altogether, I mean, Enrique was, you know, just, you know, he's a super passionate guy and, you know, just, uh, and, and cares about story and character. And, and that's, that's the most important part to a movie anyway, you know? So it worked did, out really well. Did you use storyboard or previs? Cause you're so visual. Yeah, I did. A, I did a few little bit of previs with third floor. Um, and then, uh, did a lot, I did a few things with storyboards here and there, but the truth is once you're out there and you're going and the, the, the clock is like winding down and you know, the lights, you know, drop and blow the horizon, the storyboards go out the window pretty quickly and you just kind of, you know, I don't want to say you wing it, but, um, you know, you, you rehearse and block with the actors and then, and then you kind of find out where your key moments, where your performance moments you got to hit and you just kind of place cameras, you know, and I had to say that was some of the, some of the most fun stuff actually was when you just, you kind of were that, that feeling of spontaneity, you know what I mean? Yeah. And of course the VFX type stuff, we, we had that kind of fairly well planned, but, I would always kind of, you know, try to steal as many shots as I could that I knew we could maybe, maybe afford later, you know? So, so it was so, fun kind of going in with a, a knowledge of the effects in a way. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was a fun kind of approach. Can I discuss your process on set? So let's say we've got a shot that isn't previous. It's not a very complicated scene with uh, lots of VFX. It's more of a dramatic scene, I guess. Uh, you've got uh-huh. Dylan O'Brien there, and you're on set. Are you have you rehearsed? Do you like to walk the space? Do you like? I mean, how do you work with your actors? Yeah, typically, you know, it's us, us, us sitting down, you know, and while while you know, a hundred something people are sitting there waiting for you to give them their orders. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's very intimidating in a way. But uh, you gotta kind of throw all that out because, like, the, the biggest thing we were going for was like kind of an emotional truth. You know, um, it's that Robert Zemeckis he had the saying. It's like the best movies are those ones that have spectacle and truth. 
Mm. You know, and the spectacle thing is like, we've got that easy now. It's like, like we, we see a lot of that in movies, but it's that truth stuff that's really hard. It's that emotional kind of, you know, like, you know, um, kind of, you know, I guess truth, I guess is the word really. Um, that was the hard part. But so what you do is you work with the actors and you sit down and you kind of talk about the space and, and you let them kind of freely kind of go through it. And, and our actors are absolutely fantastic. They're just really, really good people that throw themselves into it wholly and they trust and they, and they take chances and they feel free to kind of, you know, fall down because they'll get picked back up again. Um, so you go out there and you kind of rehearse the scene, you figure out what feels good and they kind of like go through their blocking and kind of what, what works right for you. You know, maybe there's a couple key shots I know I want. So like guys you need to end up in this position, you know, or you need to kind of hit this beat right here, this mark, and then you can do what you want. So we kind of very naturally, organically sort of find sort of where, where we want the scene to kind of how we want to play basically. And I think that's a way to kind of find that sort of natural kind of real thing. And then, you know, Enrique is standing there next to me and, and I'll, I'll say, could we want a shot here? How about the shot like this? What if we get a steady cam and kind of swing around here and get this? And you just kind of start placing the cameras, you know, around the actors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that stuff, man, I'm telling you, that was like some of the most fun stuff for me because that was for me going into it, you know, because like I'd done a little bit of VFX stuff before. I kind of had, you know, a little bit of that kind of post background, but working with real actors and, and trying to do that stuff was totally new to me, but it, it came fairly naturally. And, and, and it was just a really great kind of team effort where we're just trying to do the best we can with what we got. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we're all, you know, we all did the best we could. So, I mean, the actors to, I mean, <clears throat> I said, uh, Ki Hong Lee, uh, for example, like terrific in the film, but I don't think the guy's been acting for more mm-hmm. than a couple of years. And, uh, Blake Cooper yeah. just isn't that old. Did you have any issues <laughs> that, to get a good performance out of those actors, given that, you know, tremendous as they are, like they just literally aren't, you know, 20 year veterans? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of these guys, I mean, even, even you would say Dylan, I mean, he, all he'd really done was those, his, his Teen Wolf TV show. That was kind of where his ticket to fame was. And he's done a few little roles before that in movies. Um, you know, our, our most experienced people were probably our British actors, you know, like uh, Kaya and, and Thomas Brady Sangster and Amel. Um, and, and of course, you know, Will Poulter. Um, but, you know, all these guys were, were you know, I, I thought that was kind of, I took a little bit of pride in that actually approach that we weren't trying to just cast faces you know, yeah. we we're trying to just cast really good actors, you know, people that could just be real and, 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 and throw themselves into these things and, and just, like you said, just be true. Um, it was fun, man. I mean, it was, it was a, definitely a big challenge, but you know, you see hundreds of people on the, on these tapes, these audition mm-hmm. tapes, and they stand out pretty quickly. The ones that can just take a line that's very difficult to get across and they just come across very naturally, just throw it away, whatever it is. You can, you can feel, feel that kind of sense of realism. And then it's just your job as a director really to take these actors and just make them feel comfortable. And, and I'm, I'm pretty collaborative in, in general, you know, so it's, I like hearing their ideas. I like kind of seeing, well, what would you do here? You know, how would you feel about this and that and stuff like that? So we kind of find it together. Um, and I think that's where you get to that kind of, you know, that kind of real performance stuff. Um, instead of this kind of, okay, we're going to, we're going to shoot this, this shot here and you're going to hit your line here. And then we're going to come over here and get this shot and you're going to hit this line here. Instead, it's very nice to kind of just, it's kind of the way I did Ruin, to be honest. Right. I do this kind of overhead view where I just, like from like a God's eye point of view, almost like a stage play or something, I would just animate the characters and find find the find what felt right movement-wise and then come in and find your shots. And you'd, you'd sometimes just find these kind of little moments that you just couldn't otherwise kind of dream up. You know what I mean? So that kind of thing is really important to me to kind of keep a, keep a sense of spontaneity and kind of organic kind of life to it, you know? Because these things can become so 
rigidly defined that they lose any life to them. You know what I mean? So that so, was that was kind of our approach there. So let me ask the question that, that given the nature of this uh, FX guide, is going to have uh, the most response from the listeners. Um, I, we sat down with with Sue from uh, Method, and I know you had a really good relationship with her. But I mean, yeah. how do you pick Method? Why work with Sue? What? What? I mean, you know, ten years down the track, someone's going to be come back and referring to this. But why? What is it that appeals to you to pick uh, who your supervisor is and the the house that you work with? Well, you know, the truth is a, a part of it is the studio too. You know, I mean, it was my first feature. Um, you know, um, they have like people that they vet. Fortunately, they had worked with Method before. And I came in originally saying that I wanted Method, uh, mainly because I think I remember seeing, uh, I think it was Wrath of the Titans. Mm-hmm. It was that, it was that volcano sequence. Right. Or the Kronos sequence. And I, I remember seeing that and I'm pretty sure that was Method. I might be wrong, but I remember saying, man, that's fantastic. I want these guys, you know, and I think it turns out it wasn't even Vancouver, but, um, I, I there was something I'd seen more of their work and stuff and I just, I felt like we kind of needed that, to be honest. We needed like a, a smaller shop that could do big work. And, and and they were really keen to kind of, you know, take a whole show, you know what I mean, which was really fun to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we, we basically had Eric Brevig on board too, along with Sue. He was kind of a, I guess it was, he was considered a, kind of a VFX consultant in a way. But, uh, it's, you know, having, you know, names like that. And Eric DeBoer, our animator from Life of Pi, you know, uh, he was at Rhythm and Hughes at the time when that kind of disaster happened. Um, with, uh, with, uh, with them going kind of bankrupt and stuff. And so he kind of went over to Method too. So they had like the talent there, you know, and it was, it was, they were, they were hungry and excited and it was, it was an easy decision, honestly. And Sue's great. She's, you know, she's just uh, one, uh, a really nice person and, and, and it's fun to work with. And, you know, and, and I wasn't an easy customer, you know, because, you know, it was, it's the one thing I knew pretty well uh, on, on this kind of movie stuff was I knew the visual effects side of things, at least enough to be dangerous, you know? So I, I you know, I, I was a tough customer for them, but they, they all took it in stride and, you know, and, and I think, uh, I think they're really proud of the work they did. And so it's, it's cool. I don't know if you've seen it, but Sue told us a funny story about you coming up and saying, um, should I be worried about some green screen here? And she was like, well, I wouldn't worry about that. There's an entire city over there we don't have. Um, yeah, <laughs> and she great. said you were quite understanding of uh, what was needed, which was great. So on set, <clears throat> you're filming. Do you have an ongoing edit? I mean, how did you sort of track whether you were getting what you thought you needed? Um, were you just running so yeah. fast that later you were worried about it or what? Yeah, honestly, uh, we didn't have time. You know, we were, we were going so fast and so furious that we uh, – we, I didn't have time to look at an edit. And plus, our, most of our locations were like, you know, an hour away from our home and stuff like that. So, where we were living in Baton Rouge. So, I really almost never got to see, um, the cuts while, while at the same time, the editor, Dan, he was cutting stuff together. Um, and occasionally I would say, Hey, how's that scene working out? He's like, Yeah, it seems to be working all right. Um, but I would just kind of trust that, you know, I, I have a, I can usually see the movie pretty well if I if I know what the shots are, and I think that comes from the animation days when I was doing that kind of stuff. I can pretty much see how it's going to go together. You know, you know what I mean. Mm. Um, so I, if I had any kind of questions, I would ask Dan, "Hey, check this scene, make sure that I have all the coverage I need um, to bounce around." But I didn't see a cut until after I wrapped and we started, you know, cutting that, that next week. And you know, that, that was a difficult process. You know, it's like you, you go out and see this movie, it's crazy. And then, then you go watch a two and a half hour movie of everything strung together and you're like, Oh no, what am I doing? And then, you know, you just start chipping away at it and start kind of, you know, chiseling away, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, were you cool. watching dailies? I mean, were you reviewing every day? Yeah, I was watching yeah. dailies all, always. And, and even then, though, sometimes I didn't have time, so I would have to blast through these things, and I'd say, well, that's a great shot, well, that's a great shot. And sometimes I would tell Dan, you know, hey, try to use this shot, this is a good one. Um, or I would say certain takes. Sometimes on set, you know, I had my, my uh, script supervisor, Steve Gerke, you know, I would tell him to like, you know, hey, circle that take for Dan, you know, just give him little notes, things like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a trust involved there, you know, and, and sometimes it hurt me, you know, honestly. Sometimes I would look back and, oh, you know, if I had only known, I would have shot this or shot that. But I guess that's kind of the name of the game, you know. Somebody once said, I think, that no film is as good as it looks in dailies or as bad as its first cut. Um, <laughs> because obviously when you first put that's the true. film together, yeah, I was wondering, that's like, how, how much is the, the the film that you saw at first, uh, like edit the first cut, the rough, rough, rough cut. How much was that the thing that you thought you'd shot, or how much did you kind of reappraise what was working or not once you started seeing it as a sort of assembly? Assembly. Yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting question. I mean, I will say that our first cut, it, we didn't cut a lot of scenes. Actually, we were a pretty bare bones movie. We could only shoot what we had. There's a few scenes that we lost, um, but mainly it was about just tightening up. You know, it was about just you know, or using this take this way or that way. And, and I had this whole, you know, dream of, you know, doing a Spielberg and doing all these wonderful wonders. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, I had, I shot a ton of those things and unfortunately those are so difficult to do. I mean, he makes it look so easy, but the problem is those wonders, they have to be short. You know, they, there has to be kind of an inherent kind of momentum and energy to these shots to actually work. Yep. And you no, know, that's not easy. Uh, we have a couple of them in the movie that survived, but um, I'm going to try to do more of those this time because I kind of understand now what I think makes them tick. And usually you want to keep these scenes around a minute and a half long because that's when the audience starts getting kind of restless unless there's something major happening in the shots. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we go back and, and, and my, my, again, my script supervisor would, would record or time all these scenes. So I'll be able to now in this next one in a week when we start shooting, you know, kind of always keep an eye on, so, okay, what, what are we tracking at? Because a lot of times what will happen when you're directing a scene, it's like, you know, you'll get swept up in their performance, and, oh, didn't they do a good job? And and then what happens is that you go, oh, it went, two, went three minutes long. Oh, my God, I, that's, that's way too long. So really just a simple note of, hey, guys, I need you to go faster. Sometimes that brings out a whole new kind of energy and, and momentum out of the performance, you know? So that's a, that's a nice little trick that kind of discovered along the way, I think, and, it's it's a kind of natural momentum and energy that kind of gets gets put into these scenes, you know. In that great scene at the end when they're in the control room before the doors open and they get taken outside, um, mm-hmm. did you shoot that with just one camera or were you cross shooting? I mean, how do how do you actually like to? Because that's kind of dramatic. It's a lot of tension in the room uh, for the actors. Oh yeah, to, that's one camera basically. So you, so you basically yeah. shoot it all left, shoot it all right, and then get everybody to kind of... Uh... Yeah, and I mean, that, that. I mean, we did have a B camera, I think, on some of those things, but it, you're so tight in there that you just start getting on top of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one scene in particular where we shot three cameras, um, like Ben's Banishment. You know, we did, like, a little crane that was just wandering around, and we had an A and B camera inside there, too, and we got a lot of great shots out of that. But you start kind of getting into each other's shots, and, and you know, depending on what you can do lighting-wise... Uh, like out when I'm out in the sun in the glade and it's like almost sunset, it's no problem because it, it, you don't have to worry about lights. But when you're in that kind of that lab environment, the lights are so specific that you can't just you can't get a lot of cross type stuff. It starts feeling like TV, you know. Right. But uh, that was a really hard scene to, to do, man. I mean, that was 
um, that was tough because, you know, everyone's emotionally, yeah. you know, invested in there for, you know, six, seven hours. And by, by the time you're done, people are just kind of numb and they don't think they're doing a good job, but they just, I have to just tell them, you know, trust me, you know, it's, it, you know, you, I'm getting what I need kind of thing. And, um, you try to, you try to make it as easy on them as possible, but it's, you know, when you have a group like that, like seven characters that all need their little moments, uh, it's difficult, <laughs> you know, and we saw it on like the second, the last day, I think of set. So that it was already kind of emotionally charged anyway. I kind of did that intentionally. I wanted to make sure we shot that last. Um, cause it was kind of like they really were saying goodbye to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and this cast, they really came together and bonded in a way that was, I think, really special. And they, they still tell me this day that they're, they've never had quite as close a, a connection to their cast members before. And I think a big part of that was, you know, when I, I had this dream, when I first came on, I was like, yeah, I want to do this, like, you know, glader boot camp, you know, I want to bring them out like two weeks before and I want to send them out to the glade and just get them to camp out there and, you know, have little adventures together and get dirt under their fingernails and get to know each other and just learn what it's like to live out in, on, in the world out there. And I think that really bonded them in a, in a, in a, in a unique way. So oh, they, did they became do that? A, a really awesome little family. They, they did, they did camp out there? In Louisiana, oh, yeah, yeah, they camped out, and and it was funny too because we 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 gave them a camera. I think some of this footage might be on the DVD and stuff, but uh, they went out there, and I, I I sent them out with like an army ranger. Um, he was, he was, his name is Giovanni, and uh, and he just kind of you know they showed up in all their city clothes, their actor clothes, LA clothes, you know whatever, and and like all right, get down in the dirt, you know, and start rolling around. I'm like what? You know, they're hundred dollar shoes, you know. It was fantastic, and so uh, and and the night they went camping. I swear it was probably the, and I'm from Florida, okay, so we have really high thunderstorms. Yeah. This is the worst thunderstorm I've ever seen in my life. It was, it was, it was cartoony almost and how crazy it was. Um, and they were sitting out in these little flimsy tents dealing with that. And, and, you know, they were all scared and they had to, you know, it was, it was fantastic, but I bonded them. They had a little adventure together, you know, and you can't, you can't buy that kind of, that kind of stuff. And I, I do think it shows up in the movie, you know. So let me ask you this. You, you've got this terrific opportunity to go and do the second film. Um, you must uh-huh. be thinking, well, this is from process point of view now, this is my process on the first one. Now I get a chance to do a do-over. So what are you sort of yeah. taking in terms of your process and changing going into the second film? Anything? You know, I, I don't know. Um, it, I've, I've actually thought a lot about that. People ask me, what do you diff- do differently? I think the only thing that I'm going to be really conscious of here is to constantly be present in the, in the, in the scene. Because what happens when you're out there directing, it's like, it's like you have someone, someone described it as it's like being pecked to death by chickens. Um, you have hundreds of people just constantly asking these little questions all, all day long. And it's like, you know, you have so many things that are just happening around you essentially that it's, it's difficult to hold on to that focus in the moment and watch the scenes and make sure the performances are right and you're getting what you need. Because really, no matter what happens, it's like if, if the actors aren't real and not doing their thing, it's all just fluff. You know, it's all just spectacle with nothing else, you know, it's empty calories, I guess, you know. So I'm going to be a little bit more hard on myself for that because I found myself getting in a little bit of trouble sometimes not kind of holding on to that, that sense of, you know, connection there. Um, so that, that'll be one thing that I kind of hold on to. And then what's interesting now though, is that, you know, we've got a little bit more money for this next one, but I'm still, I'm trying to do like something that I should not be trying to do with the budget we have. We're, we're really trying to make a big giant movie with this next one. And, uh, 
and we'll see, but I, I like that. You know, I like, I like kind of pushing the bar for myself, even just challenging myself and trying to do something that's, that's kind of impossible. But I think even if you get halfway there, you've kind of gone further than, than, than something else that, that might have been trying, trying to play it safe, you know? Yeah. So who knows? We might crash and burn, but, um, it's, it's interesting this this time is, you know, you know, we, the movie just came out like, you know, whatever yeah. it was like, a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. we're already shooting. So we're, we're in a different, I'm in a different kind of experience this time because I'm, I'm very much doing that kind of chasing the movie thing. You know, um, we, we obviously have scripts and everything, but you know, it's like you, movies are made in prep. You know what I mean? That, that's mm. where, that's where movies either fail or succeed is in prep. It's not in the shooting part. It's in, it's in the planning and the prep preparation stuff with all the different department heads and knowing what everything's going to be. And so we don't have the same amount of time that we had in the last one. This is a significantly bigger movie just in terms of scope and, and, and characters and, and just the world creation itself. So, um, it's, you know, I'm going to have to rely on whatever I've learned. I couldn't even tell you what that is. I think it's just more of an instinctual thing now. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, ask me in February and we'll see. <laughs> Do, have you got a published kind of date you're aiming for, for the film to be in cinemas? Has that been something you've published? Yeah, already? they've already dated the movie to be September, uh, uh, the same day last, uh, we, that we released, um, the first one in. So it's right. September 15th, I think it might be a day off. So we're basically, you know, going to be wrapping the movie in February and then have whatever it is, seven months or something to, um, to get it out into theaters, you know, is it so, the same, uh, of, is it the same effects it, team or no, it's not this time. Um, and it's just because of the way it works. No, no, no reason other than just, um, there's sort of politics involved and, and certain things that happen, but, um, you know, it looks like it'll be weather this time. Um, and, and, and if I ever need any more effects work, you know, of course method and, and those guys will be the first ones I call cause I had such a great experience with them. But, you know, it's kind of one of the sadder things Like a lot of my crew, I couldn't get them either because, you know, just things don't work out the, the yeah, same scheduling. way in terms of just schedules or whatever it is. And it's a sad thing, you know, because you, you really kind of, you, you form a really kind of strong kind of family and bond with these people. And, you know, you just want to work with them forever, you know, but, uh, but, you know, with that said, though, I, we have a fantastic crew, and, and it's, it's the same kind of vibe that we had in the last one. It's all, we're all kind of in it together and trying to do something really special together. And um, I think, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll have something really cool for people. Who's your cinematographer this time out? Yeah, this time it's going to be Jula Pados. Right. Um, and that's just another, another case where, unfortunately, Enrique couldn't, um, he couldn't take the movie because he took another movie. Um, because, you know, basically, uh, this movie just kind of sprung up out of nowhere, you know, when, when, the, when the sort of testing results of the movie started happening, um, you know, a, a month or two before, uh, oh, yeah, it was we, hot. uh, yeah. released. Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, we were, the city was excited and they're like, oh my God, we got to start thinking about the, the sequel here now. And so then it was, I wasn't planning on doing the sequel originally, but, um, you know, they, they, uh, you know, I, I found my way into the story, I guess you'd say. And, uh, and, and it's going to be cool, man. I think it's going to be really great, but, are you gonna um, yeah, previs, uh, new... are you going to previous this one more than the last one or are you sort of the same approach? Cause, uh, yeah, you know, I am, I'm prevising a lot cause there's a lot more wall creation and, and, and set piece type stuff here and they're extreme, they're much bigger basically. So there's a lot more moving parts to them. And, um, you know, it's the same team, basically Jordan over at third floor has come on and, and he's leading up that charge and we're just trying to keep up basically. And, Third um, Floor's a, a marvelous company. Third, really. third Floor's a great yeah, company. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they're they're fantastic, you know, and and um, 
and they did a really good job for us on the last one too. And especially post those, that was an interesting new kind of, you know, thing yep. for me to, to experience too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good team, man. I'm really happy with it. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of familiar faces for sure coming back, but, uh, some new ones and some kind of new additions to the family, you know, it's, it's going to be cool. So I saw a photo of you at, I think, WonderCon. I think it was a selfie you mm-hmm. took with the crowd behind you. And I was just struck by uh, this kind of enormous room full of uh, kind of uh, fans and uh, appreciative yeah. audience. Does it kind of seem a bit surreal when you're sitting up there on stage looking down at this going, wait a second? Because, you know, you went from, you know, not having that to having that in a pretty short order. Yeah, YouTube videos to uh, Hollywood movies, right? It's very strange. I don't know. I, I um. I definitely, uh, uh, I don't enjoy the, you know, the, the spotlight, you know, I like being behind the camera, you know, hmm. um, I don't, you know, I, 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 it's fine. I, it's kind of my job, I guess, to go out and do that stuff, but, um, I don't feel any different. <laughs> you know, I, we're just trying to make a cool movie and, you know, we're, we're constantly up against it and, you know, always making compromises, of course, that's what movie making really is, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I guess maybe it hasn't really sunk in, I guess, and I, maybe it's because I, I don't want it to, <laughs> you know, I just want to stay a kind of normal person and just make stuff, you know, um, but it's, I'm certainly very aware of like the, um, opportunity, you know, and how grateful I am basically for Fox to kind of take this chance on me, man, I mean, you know, like I said, I went from a little tiny, you know, animated short I made in my closet basically with a couple of friends to, you know, uh, you know, a $30 million, you know, Hollywood movie, it, 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 I, it's not lost on me how lucky I am, you know? So uh, I just want to make sure that, you know, it is the movie business and, you know, as much as artistically and creatively, I want to do something special. I, I also want to make sure that it's, it's good business for Fox too. And people that have, you know, kind of given me a shot. So, um, it's, it's cool. We'll, we'll hopefully it all works out. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're all looking forward to seeing the gliders outside the maze. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to that film when it comes out. But thanks so much for taking us through the process because we do really appreciate it. And, of course, we're also, like, you know, damn bloody proud of you. You've done such a brilliant job. So well done, man. Thanks, man. It all, it all started with effects guide, my little class that I put out there, like, I don't know how many years ago it was. It seems like only yesterday. We, we loved having you teach at FX PhD. It was, it was awesome. But I've got to say, like, uh, I just think, you know, the film, you've really connected with an audience. Um, you've taken something that people really care about and translated it well, but also, uh, you know, given it your own stamp. So, you know, more power to you. I think it's great. Yeah, thanks, Mike. All right. Well, we will uh, let you go because I know you've only got a week to, before you start shooting, but uh, good luck with it. And uh, hopefully I'll talk to you uh, when you're in uh, post on the second one. Thanks, man. Sounds good, man. Well, great stuff, and uh, I think they mentioned in the podcast there that Wes has already been tapped to direct the sequel to Maze Runner, Chapter 2. Over the years, people have asked us how they can help FX Guide, how they can help grow the site um, and, and and add more content, and we've been very good at adding content. We've done an immense amount of written articles and technical papers and um, audio podcasts and video podcasts, so people have asked how to help, so we created the FX Insider program. It's our membership program that allows you to Tap into exclusive content and expanded articles. For example, we just had an interview with Richard Edlin and we gave you the unedited version, audio version, um, so you can listen to the entire entire interview that Mike did with him um, for the FX Insider members. So check that out over at fxguide.com and there's an FX Insider tab. It's inexpensive, but every little bit helps. And you've been listening to the FX Podcast. We also do other podcasts, the VFX Show, reviews visual effects and current releases. We also dip back in and tackle 
classic films as well sometimes. And the RC podcast covers digital cinematography. So check those out and our F- and our video podcast, of course, FX Guide TV. You can find all of that with in-depth articles, news, and more at fxguide.com. And as I said, fxphd.com with extensive online visual effects training at an amazing price. So that'll do it for this episode. For my partners, Mike Seymour and John Montgomery, I'm Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.